listen to me. Let's do that hockey. Welcome everyone to Dauber Prospects Report. This is report number 12. In this report, you're going to hear a very special episode. Peter and I have were at the 2023 NHL draft in Nashville. You're going to hear some reactions that we had along with interviews with scouts and writers, along with some of the player interviews. Big thanks to Jesse Severe of Fantasy Hockey Life, who edited all this content that Peter and I collected and sent to him and put it together for this two-part episode. You're hearing part two on this feed. If you missed part one, go back and listen to part one on the Fantasy Hockey Life feed, and that'll be the good introduction about what we're doing here. And also thanks to Evan Sabrin for his help as well with all of this stuff that we've put together. So big thanks to those two. Before we get started, I want to remind you that Dauber Prospects Report is a member of the Hockey Podcast Network. We're very excited to be part of the army of fantastic hockey podcasts. Please check out at HockeyPodNet for all the shows like this one, talking hockey from fantasy to team coverage to you name it. You can also use the DraftKings promo code THPN for listening to the show. A bit more on this later. Also want to remind you that the 17th annual Dauber Hockey Fantasy Prospects Report was released and updated with the NHL entry draft picks. All of the corresponding players are on their corresponding team pages now. You can read all about them, all the write-ups about each one of the drafted players, what their upside timeline is. In addition to that, you can read about 500 prospects with upside wait time analysis and the top 100 NHL drafted prospects as well. Get your copy today at Dauber Prospects or Dauber Hockey in the shop. Hey everybody, Jesse Severe from Fantasy Hockey Life joining you once again to bring you all the goodies that Victor and Peter brought back from the 2023 NHL Draft. If you didn't listen to the first half of this on Fantasy Hockey Life, you should from last Sunday. But just to give you a sense of what's ahead for those who haven't, we have interviews with Craig Button, Shane Malloy, Russ Cohen, and Sebastian High. We have a nice talk at the end of the draft from Peter and Victor. And in addition, we've got all kinds of recorded prospect talk. William Whitelaw, Denver Barkey, Luca Cagnoni, Jacob Fowler. We've got Ryan Leonard. We've got Ethan Medima, Adar Suniev, and Caden Price, as well as a little bit of talk from Dan Briere. And then, like I said, at the end, Peter and Victor will have a few words as well. So just sit back. I'm going to bring these pieces to you one by one. We're going to start with an interview that Peter did with Craig Button. All right, here we are back at the draft talking to Mr. Craig Button from TSN. Craig, how are you enjoying the draft? This draft is great every year. you got these wide-eyed kids that are starting to realize their dreams and that they're closer to their dreams and further away, put on an NHL jersey. That's what they've dreamt about. And they all know that the work is just beginning, but it's a special time for all the kids. Isn't it just a pleasure to see these kids on the podiums over there and it's just they're having the best day of their life? Isn't it great to be a small part of that? It is. And there's kids that maybe anticipated being drafted a little bit higher that have to wait a little bit longer, but when they hear their name called, it all ends. They get out there, they pull on the jersey, and it's just as exciting because now they know this is where I'm going to be playing. This is where I'm going to try to make my way. I think it's wonderful. For me, the second best day of the year after today is my fantasy draft. So let's talk about some fantasy draft players. 
one of the most interesting players in this draft. And where is he going to go? And he ended up going seventh overall. Matt Benichkov goes to the Philadelphia Flyers. It's going to be a couple of years before he comes over, but I think when he does, he's going to hit the ground running, and he is going to be a really superstar winger in this league. And I think the Philadelphia Flyers maybe got a bit of a steal at seven. When we look back in five or ten years from now and do a 2023 redraft. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes second on the redraft list in time once once we see how things are going. What's your take on Mitchkoff and your outlook on him and what do the Flyers have with him? Before I get to that, I just want to make a quick mention. It's not to disappoint you, but I don't think he's going to be eligible for any fantasy drafts in the future. He's going to be a limited, so. <laughs> anyway, all kidding aside, he's an elite goal scorer. Goal scoring is the hardest thing to do in the National Hockey League. When you're looking at different players, all the different players add different things. You can't have 12 scoring forwards on your team and wingers. You need a balance. But when you're looking at a skill set that's pretty impressive in that day, there's no question that he that he has that elite, what I call, striking ability. And when you think about how he creates his chances, he does it with, a, with an unbelievable mind and understanding, where do I have to get to? And then when the opportunity arises, he can finish like in, in a superb manner. And those players, there's not very many of them. It's not easy. Player, the teams all know how good he is. And But you're also evaluating where does he fit? What else do we have in our organization and everything? And there's lots of really good players that may not have the offensive numbers that Matt Mitchkoff may have, but it doesn't mean they're going to be lesser players because they were drafted ahead of them. And certainly, I think teams, I don't think there's any question, you could ask any of the teams to pick one through six if they think Mitchkoff's a good player. I think they tell you the same thing. They think he's elite, but there's different considerations that go into when you're selecting players. Is the Russian factor a big one at play here? Because he wasn't the first Russian picked, but we all understand how he's under contract for three more years, but... I don't put a lot of weight in that, but do you think the Russian factor moved the needle for some teams? If you yeah. can you, you can make a case against any player. You can yeah. base it on size, you can base it on nationality, passport, contract status. You, if you want to make a case against the player, it's not hard to do. It's not about making a case against the player. It's about what does a player possess? What can he do to help our team? What's unique about him? And then go from there. I don't know if teams, like I know for years, I do know teams for years, have had the Russian factor come into play to their detriment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, let's talk about another guy. We were interested in what your thoughts were on Quentin Musty from the Ontario Hockey League. Drafted by the San Jose Sharks. Now that we know where Musty is going, first round, he went... 26. Correct. 26 overall. Being a member of San Jose Sharks, does that increase his opportunity to get to the NHL, or does it change at all? Is And what is San Jose going to get when he when and if he makes it to the NHL? So what I would, I'll answer the second question first. I think what you're getting in Quentin is a really good, probably weighted more to playmaking winger than a scoring winger. But he's got he's got the range and the length and the size in his body to hold off defenders. He's got really good touch on his puck play, and he can make really good plays. But think that a lot of players, you watch him score, and you think, why doesn't he shoot more? But think about players, Joe Thornton, a San Jose Shark legend. Think about Jason Spezza, all great shots. And maybe they were, people said, why don't you shoot more? And I think that same thing could be said about Quinton. But I think he's a good goal scorer, but I think his game is more weighted to playmaking. But he's good in and around the net. He's good in terms of being able to create scoring chances. And I, I think that if you, if you gain a little bit more confidence goal scoring-wise, you might see maybe a little bit more balance there. But this is a really good player. He's smart. He, The game now, for 
with the bigger wingers, bigger players, isn't so much physical as much as it is of holding off opponents and using your size to keep the puck away from your opponents, right, for a forward. So I think he does that very well. We look at a team like San Jose and we go, okay, what does it mean? Does he get a chance earlier? I think teams have to be very careful about putting players in the NHL before they're ready. NHL teams fail players more than players fail on their own because they're, they're impatient and they don't do the things that are necessary to allow a player to grow. The NHL is the hardest league to play in. I tell players this all the time. If you haven't dominated at the level below you, why do you think you're going to go to the NHL and have success? Because the NHL will chew you up and spit you out like nothing. So you better be ready. NHL teams are a big fault for not allowing players to grow and develop. So if they want to rush a player ahead, you go ahead, but it's never good. Like rarely does it work. Rarely does it work to the advantage of the player or the team. At your own peril, huh? Yeah. I wanted to ask you about one of the guys who maybe we could say fell a little bit, and that's Andrew Kristall, went 40 to Caps. He was projected kind of in between there, but in terms of upside, it seems like he has a lot of offense to offer. What do you, what's your kind of take on him? A bit undersized forward with a lot of skill. Yeah, I look at the draft this way. I, like, I, I think we could all sit down at the beginning of a draft and easily pick out the 20 guys that are going to get drafted in the first round, maybe the first 22, 24. I don't think it's hard to do. From 25 to 50, some team might have Andrew Crystal 25th on their list. Another team that might have him 36. Another team might have him 40. I don't think there's much difference between the 25th pick and the 50th pick. I think that the first, the, we talk about a first rounder. I know what it means for the night, but I think all those players, some teams are going to rate the players a little bit higher, some players not as high, and I just think that he fell into that group. I, it wouldn't have surprised me to see him go 25. It didn't surprise me to see him go 40. Andrew's a very gifted player. There's, the, the, I think the biggest thing, I think there's two things that he's got to work on. Number one, the skating. He's not fast, and he's got to get quicker. You don't have to be fast, but you got to be quicker. And I think the second thing with him is, and this is part of what I call the puck possession syndrome. When you're younger and everybody's telling you to hold on to the puck, hold on to the puck, hold on to the puck, and you're really good at holding on to the puck, you can hold on to the puck. But as you move on to the levels and you're not fast or quick enough and you're not big, holding on to the puck is to your detriment. He's got to learn to give up that puck a lot quicker and because when he gets caught in those body-on-body battles, he has problems. So I think they're both developmental. One has to really occur, and then he has to learn the other part of it. I think those are developmental. I don't think those are inherent weaknesses. Inherent weaknesses, I think, are just about impossible to fix. you got to accept them. Developmental weaknesses, you got to get to work. Craig, every time we have a conversation at the draft or at a game, I always come away smarter. So got to thank you for that. <laughs> I enjoy listening to your coverage on TSN as well. You did an amazing job at the U18s again. So thank you so much for your time and keep doing what you're doing, my friend. Thank you. Always my pleasure to join you. Back now in studio. Next, we have another interview that Peter had with one of the draft experts at the draft, Shane Malloy. We're going to talk a little bit of Arizona Coyotes and what they're doing. What is a Danielle Boot, really? And Dalibor Dvorsky. So here is Peter with Shane Malloy. Hey, Shane. Welcome back to the NHL Draft. Good to have you on the podcast again, my brother. Love it. I love this time of year. It's great. It's like the prom, but every year. It's Christmas. It's even better. Yeah. All right. So thanks for giving me a hot minute of your time here. Let's talk a little bit of fantasy value from some players taken in the first round and let's start with Arizona they went with Dmitry Simishev at sixth and then they went big again and got another six foot four plus guy and Daniel Boot so Simishev was the highest ranked 
D on a lot of draft lists that My I looked list. at. Yeah, he's number one on your list too. And the file on him is big, mobile, raw. For people who have no intel on this guy, what is the fantasy upside with this player? He has untapped offensive up, upside. You're, the difficulty is when you're an 18-year-old defenseman playing pro is that you're going to defer to the older players more often. So there's less of a statistical profile to gravitate to, to really help in terms of your projection. So you really have to look at his playing abilities. You've got to look at his technical ability. But from what I see and the conversation I had with another guy who like really tracks Russians really well, former NHL scout, we both saw very similar things in that respect. So he could be a guy that ends up put, putting up 40 points a year as a two-way number three defenseman, maybe even number two. Like that, to push him into a number two role, he has to put up more points. Yeah. But if you get 35, 40 points out of the D-man, I don't know how you're, you're depending on the structure, your point structure of your fantasy league, that's really good value and a guy who's going to play a long time. So if you're in a keeper league, that's a guy I would consider targeting. He's going to be a few years away, though. Right, 100%. So depending on the structure of your league, the one I was in, we would draft players at, from the draft at 17, 18 and hold yeah, on to them. For so, three or four oh, years. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'd hold on to them for as long as I possibly could and sign them. So it just depends on the structure of the league. All right. What do you think you see? So he's ranked number one on your list, but when you're talking about fantasy value for defensemen does he still hold the number one spot or you maybe keep him in the top five no he's certainly in the top three because now okay. you look at Pelika now will Pelika be he's a more off, obviously a more offensive defenseman and so if you're looking for points like he will probably run a second unit power play in the NHL he yeah. might not run a first but he'll definitely run a second so in terms of for fantasy because we know how valuable offensive defensemen are in fantasy hockey he might end up being the guy that you want to take first because if he pops offensively that's great for your team so that's the balance of the opportunity okay so let's talk about the other guy that arizona drafted danielle boot a player that a lot of people don't have a file on again because it's hard to watch russian games but he's big he's in the six foot four neighborhood and he's a good playmaking forward I see him as more of a Elmer Soderblom than a big power forward kind of guy. I don't, he's tall, right, but I don't he's give, not overly aggressive. I don't consider him a power forward style at all. He's a goal scorer. He's a sniper. Right. He's going to come down the wing, and he has these long strides, and he's got wheels, and he can hammer a puck through a barn door. So for a fantasy standpoint, if you have a greater emphasis on points for goal scorers, that's a guy you seriously consider. But no, he's not coming for a few years. Like, you're looking at three, four years. Right, that another, another really raw guy. Yeah. What do you think would be the possibility of them switching him to defense? No, right. no. This guy is like a big-bodied goal scorer that, you know, and if you're going to be that big, you got to produce some goals. Right. So for me, that would be the kind of players that I take in my fantasy draft. So he's, he went 12th overall. That's good value? Yes. All right. Yeah, I had him 15 on my list. Another team that had some players who I'm really interested in talking about is the St. Louis Blues. So they drafted Dilibor Dvorsky at number 10. Sounds like what the hockey players would say about divorced parents. They're Dvorsky. But what's the, what's the take on this guy? He's a smart two-way centerman. Number, I think he's going to project as a number two centerman. So he's the kind of guy who will get you like 65 points a year but can match up defensively. Now, in a, from a fantasy standpoint, he is those steady, reliable players that you have in your fantasy that you know every year they're going to give you this. Steady Eddies. Steady Eddies. That's the whole St. Louis Blues draft in the first round. They're all Steady Eddies. But I, like, if I was in St. Louis position and I was their GM, those are the players I would have drafted. 
Now, there's an advantage to that in fantasy. Are they going to blow you, blow the socks off the door, like with an Otto Stenberg or a Theo Lindstein? Right. No, but they're, what they're going to do with Stenberg is very much like Michael Backlund in that respect. He, like in his prime, he'll give you 50 points a year. He's going to give you 50 points a year every year for probably eight years. And those are the kind of guys that you swing for fences in your fan, in your fantasy league, but you also need guys who consistently just grind you out some points so you can get into the playoffs. And that's what guys like Dvorsky and Stenberg and Lindstein are going to do. Surefire NHLers, you think? Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, right yeah they have a really high floor for all three of them, so those guys are going to be dependable players. Nice. That's a good draft for St. Louis then, eh, is what Excellent. you're saying. Yeah. Excellent. I loved it. Wait till I see Tim Taylor on the floor. I mean, because that we think similar in that respect. I want guys that are going to play. You can swing for fences, but you've got to get guys that are going to play more than 200 games in the NHL. Usually you see teams swing for the fences when they have multiple picks, and they just went for just all They want high floor. Value, right? High floor players. Guys that they really think are going to play 8 to 10 years in the NHL and are going to fit a specific role. Like, Dvorsky is a number two center. Stenberg is a number three center. Lindstein is, like, a number three, maybe number four. Right. A linchpin defenseman that glues your defense core together and gets you 30 points every year. Nothing sexy, just like ding, ding, because he's a smart puck mover. So... In your fantasy league, those are the guys that like help you get into the playoffs, and you swing for the fences with other players because you yeah. can't have all you can't have all these high risk, high reward players because either you like you hit a home run, but otherwise you strike out hard and you get your whipped. Yeah. So I like to balance my roster. All right. There's some good scouting tips in there, and I think that's a good conversation for another day. We'll have you back on the podcast this summer. We'll talk. We'll talk some scouting tips with Shane Malloy. How's that sound? Sounds great. Anytime. All right, my brother. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Throughout today's show, you're going to hear interviews with some of these experts interspersed with media scrums where we're listening to some of the prospects talk. The next one we're going to listen to will be William Whitelaw, a Columbus Blue Jackets selection. Victor had him number 27 in his pre-draft rankings. He ended up going number 66 to Columbus. We're going to hear him talk a little bit about going to University of Wisconsin-Madison, his connections to Columbus, and who his game may have resemblances to. So right here, William Whitelaw. It's just super special to be able to share this moment with all those guys. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was really close with Tony Granato in the recruiting process, and uh, obviously uh, he got let go, but uh, the new uh, the new staff's really good there too, so I'm just excited. I mean, I think uh, they have every uh, opportunity and asset, uh, nutrition, workout room, ice, anything you can ask for to become an NHL hockey player, and uh, that's what I want to be. Uh, no, I uh, just missed him when he was there. Uh, I talked to Coffee a little bit when uh, he was there, but I uh, never got to meet Carson. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, he texted me before the draft. I hope you're Blue Jack with me. So, I mean, uh, pretty exciting thing. And I'll probably open my phone now, and there's probably a couple hundred texts from him. So, uh, super excited. He's a great kid, and uh, just excited to get going. What are you most excited about playing in the Big Ten? Yeah, I mean, I think everyone's good there. I think uh, it's a high, fast, uh, skilled-paced game, and I think uh, that fits my game really well. And I think uh, the Big Ten's uh, an unbelievable league, and it preps you well for the NHL. When uh, the change happened to Coach Wisconsin, did you think about maybe going somewhere else, or did the uh, new coaching staff call you pretty quickly? How did that work? Yeah, I mean, uh, they, uh, I had dinner with him like five days later. They got the job. They flew down to Youngstown uh, with Mike Hastings, and uh, he's a great guy. Uh, he knows how to win, and uh, he's going to – Make it so when I get to the NHL, uh, I'm going to be able to stay there and uh, be a really good hockey player in the NHL. 
yeah, I mean, I think uh, I try to model my game after guys like Marchand, Dabrinkit, Caulfield, uh, Point, and a couple of those guys. And I think uh, I have a little bit of all of them in me, so. Oh, yeah, I had, uh, I had like, uh, one during the season, then one at the combine, and obviously, uh, you know, uh, Clarky's dad and uh, Sasha Bamidian and uh, their parents both work for the Blue Jackets, so uh, being around those kids, uh, it's a great experience, and uh, just be able to pick by them is unbelievable, so. Thanks. Next up, we'll hear from Denver Barkey, who was selected by the Philadelphia Flyers. He's going to talk a little bit as, about his relationship with Oliver Bonk, his new and former teammate in Philadelphia. He is going to talk about his training emphasis over the summer, some of the stuff I really love to hear in these types of interviews. And Victor ranked him number 43 pre-draft. The Dauber guys were very similar. He slipped all the way into the 90s. So we better hear about Denver Barkey. Mentioned Oliver Bonk, just how pumped was he for you? Yeah, he was. Uh, he was pretty pumped. He actually texted me last night. He's like, I got a feeling Philly's gonna take you tomorrow. So um, obviously that that was really cool to be taken by him. And um, yeah, pretty fortunate uh, that I got a teammate to go to Philadelphia with uh, when camp comes around. So um, just super exciting for both for both of us. Yeah, obviously, um, big thing is uh, like strength. I need to get bigger and stronger and continue to get faster um, o- over the summer and stuff like that. And I think that'll that'll allow me to be a bit more comfortable and make the jump a bit easier when uh, when I need to play pro. Luca Cagnoni is our next media scrum person to listen to. He ended up going, of course, to the San Jose Sharks. He's excited about getting drafted and put it on the teal, being teammates with Nick Chichek. You get to hear a real journalist at the end of this thing ask him to describe his game. Thank you, Victor, uh, because that's a, one of the things we really like to hear. He really slipped in the draft compared to where one would have expected him from some of the looks that our folks gave him pre-draft. Uh, the Dauber guys, some of them had him as high as number 20. Victor, I think, had uh, Luca in the number 35 position, but he slipped all the way to 123 in the draft to the San Jose Sharks. So let's hear from Luca. Cag Noni. What does it feel like putting the jersey on for the first time? We got to walk up to the table. Yeah, I mean it's it's awesome. Uh, you know this means like a lot to me, and this jersey feels fresh, so we're super stoked. Now playing in Portland, too, undrafted to now draft in the NHL. Uh, is that just kind of a nice feather in the cap for you, knowing that you know that this lifelong uh, dream of yours was achieved? Yeah, I mean, gone through a lot to get here, so I'm just like super happy that I finally get my name called and. Uh, it is every, every like, kid's dream to get picked and have their name called, so I'm super happy. What was the experience of this draft like for you? Yeah, I mean, it obviously super stressful, but obviously a lot of excitement. You're going to basically find like your new family and where you're going to end up with your new team, so it's, it's a very exciting time. Any indication on uh, San Jose or just didn't matter what team went? Uh, not really. I mean, it was kind of unexpected a little bit, but... Uh, it's a great organization, you know, Chichek's there, so another Portland guy that I'll probably get along with, so it's going to be a really good time. Good point. Chichek was one that modeled, you kind of modeled your game after when he came in as a 16-year-old during that bubble season when COVID happened. How much uh, did, did he kind of play a factor in, in getting your uh, feet wet in the WHL? Yeah, he was, I still give him a lot of credit to this day, like he really uh, gave me a good guidance in the league, and I give a lot of credit because he kind of showed the way that it is to be a, a pro and the way it is to play in the WHL for Portland. 
mentioned it off the top, not getting drafted in the Western Hockey League. You've obviously had to persevere to reach this point. Um, talk a little bit about that journey and you know, everything you've gone through to, to reach this stage today. Yeah, I mean, a lot of adversity, a lot of hard work and dedication. That's probably the biggest two attributes, I would say, is just like you got to be so dedicated and not give up. And I thought I worked really hard to get to this point and worked a lot just to have a good good season and seasons before that to get here. What, what are the key lessons you'll uh, take from, from the Mira w, WHL days? Yeah, I mean, it goes by fast. Like, you got to enjoy every moment of it. You never know when it's going to end or how fast time really goes by, especially this year, the season just flew by. So you got to really enjoy every moment. Okay. How would you describe your game to Sharks fans? Yeah, I'm an offensive defenseman. I like I like to push the pace up ice with like my, my puck handling and my skating. I think I have really high uh, hockey IQ. So those are kind of my, uh, my attributes. This time it's going to be a goalie, Jacob Fowler, who went to the Montreal Canadiens and he's talking with them before the draft. He does comparisons with style. I, I'm fascinated. You listen to yourself who he compares his game to as a goalie. Talking about going to Boston College and what his plans for development are in the future. And of course, you're going to Montreal. You better be prepared to answer questions of what your connection is to Quebec and whether you know French yet. So here is Jacob Fowler, soon to be a Montreal Canadian. No, it's not my first time. I I wasn't in Montreal specifically, but I played in the PD Quebec tournament. I've been up in the area. I stayed there for 10 to 12 days, but you know, played plenty of hockey games in Montreal for different tournaments. So it's a big hockey town, and you know, with pressure comes pride, and you know, I want to be a part of that. Which surprise we picked at that spot? I think you go in with an open mind. Once you see different goalies going off the board, you think any pick could be you. Just different teams have different needs, and. So to go to the Montreal Canadiens, I don't think I could rate the script any better. Had they shown the interest in you before? They had. I talked to them a few days ago just on the phone about different teams I'd met with and stuff like that. But I had a good interview with the Combine with them, and you know, I thought maybe that played a good part in this. I play a pretty simple game. I'm not a guy that overmoves or is laying on his back, flopping around. I, I like to be on my feet, and I think my game's uh, you know nothing sexy. I just stop the puck. I think I play like Cam Talbot, Jake Ottinger, and Craig Anderson. Kind of those three guys. They're they're not anything stylistically like you know special. They just they stop the puck. What do you feel are you to get to the next level? What what are your plans for um, for the next few years? Obviously, going to Boston College. It's a it's a special school, and we're gonna have a special group of guys there. So. I think for me, it's just getting more mature. I'm only 18 years old. There's not too many 18-year-old goalies in the NHL, especially with the Montreal Canadiens. So, you know, overcooked myself a little bit in college and, you know, get ready to have a nice NHL career. So it's like, more in your background in Montreal. Um, where does that, what's the origin of that? How does that, how does that work? <laughs> so uh, it kind of goes back to my grandfather remarried a, a French-Canadian woman from Montreal and uh, my dad spent a bunch of time up there skiing and snowboarding and you know for, for him he spent months and months at a time up there he practically lived there for a year and you know he learned a little bit of French I'm still trying to work on mine but definitely gonna have some more pressure to learn it now. <laughs> I would think so yeah. What was your feeling when you met uh, with the Canadians <laughs> and uh, the feedback you got from them during the interview? I think I come off as, you know, a confident guy, which I am. You know, I don't, I don't consider myself cocky by any means, but, you know, I know my game. I know myself as a person, and, you know, I think what I bring to the table is something that was an interest to them, and, you know, I think it's going to be a really good, you know, thing for both, both parties. I want to be a Montreal Canadian, and, you know, I want to win a Stanley Cup for them. 
areas of focus in terms of development? I want to get faster, I think. Every level of the game just gets that much quicker. The NHL is so fast now that you know, if you're even a little bit later, not set for half a second, guys can shoot the puck so fast and in the perfect spot that if you're not ready for it, it's, it's going to go in quite a bit if you're not not fit, uh, fit enough and uh, quick enough to get there. I want it to be. I, I think as a competitor, I don't want it to be easy. I think I want the I want the bright lights. I want the big stage. And you know, I said earlier, I think pressure is a privilege. So the more pressure it is, I think it just means that uh, you just got to go out and perform your best. You said overcook in college. Um, you know, goalies take longer to get into the NHL. Do you plan on? Do you hope to spend your four years I don't think there's ever a perfect plan. Every prospect's different, so I could have the two best years of my hockey career and still mentally and physically may not be ready for the NHL yet. So I think it's up to myself and to the organization because you don't want to go away to come in and get thrown into the fire and fail and you know, have this whole process kind of go to waste. So I think if you're undercooked, it's never going to be a good uh, result for either the team or for myself in my career. Getting a degree Say that again? Getting a degree important to you? A hundred percent, obviously, you know, both my parents are lawyers, they, they want me to get a good education, so I think that's a big reason why I picked Boston College, with how prestigious of a school it is academically, with obviously how strong their history is in hockey as well, so the school will always be there, the hockey won't, so I think you're going to pursue your hockey, and you know, you can always take classes uh, during the year, or in the summers, and you know, just enjoy it that way. Moving into the next interview with one of our experts there, Russ Cohen of Sportsology EP Ringside. Peter is going to talk to him. You're going to hear a lot about some of the very top picks in the draft and what the take was on how all that went. Also a little Sima Chef and Boot action. Uh, Got to have those Arizona Coyotes. And Quentin Musty is going to come up in this conversation too. So have a listen to Peter and Russ Cohen. Russ, round one of the draft was last night. It's all over and done. Just a couple, a couple of intriguing selections there. I think Mitchkov going to Philadelphia was a great one. Let's talk first about the top three. Went in order as what most people thought, but not quite the exact scenario where Carlson flip-flop with Fantilli. Do you think with a lot of people who are looking at their fantasy draft rankings probably had Bedard, Fantilli, Carlson, and now that those two have switched, do you see that moving the needle positively or negatively for either of those guys with Fantilli being in Columbus? From a fantasy perspective, I wouldn't move it. Yeah. It doesn't matter where he is, although he's got Johnny Gaudreau there, and now he's got his best friend Gavin Brindley. So that's a big positive. They could put those two on the same line again and there's continuity. I wouldn't touch it. I still would have Fantilli ahead. This was just like a personal preference thing for teams. And Shane Malloy and I talked about it on SiriusXM that, hey, I was like 95% chance Fantilli goes, but I was already started hearing in the wind that it might not be him. So it didn't shock me, but I don't think it's a talent thing. I just think it's a, I want a BMW, you like a Jaguar thing. You're both right. Yeah. They're both pretty. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's talk a little bit about uh, Reinbacker now. Habs Twitter exploded when they selected Reinbacker at fifth overall, who a lot of people project as like a middle-pairing defenseman, and they passed on a superstar winger in Mitchkov in order to get their middle-pairing defenseman guy. What's the fantasy upside with a guy like Reinbacker? It's not a lot unless it's a, a league with hits and minutes. He'll get some assists, but he's not a huge offensive guy. Maybe he'll get some power play time, maybe. But on that team, when you got guys like Caulfield and Suzuki or whatever, 
is probably second power play, and maybe it's like the last 10, 20 seconds. Yeah. So I fantasy upside, unless time on the ice, minutes, and hits count, penalties too because he, he's aggressive, I don't see it. So taking the fantasy angle out of it, just for listeners who are Habs fans, should they be enraged with this pick, or I, is it I a good hockey pick? No, I wouldn't say enraged. They went for a need. But what I would say is, should they take a Mitchkov? Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about Mitchkov then. I, in the article I wrote for you, I said he's the second most talented player in this draft after Connor Bedard. And it's really not, I don't think, that close. I think he's way ahead of everyone else when, you, when it comes to talent-wise. You got the Russian factor keeping him down. He's a little bit undersized. And he's a winger. So you got some positional bias there where a lot of teams like centers over wingers more. But he fell to seventh. How egregious is that? You think we'll redraft this in, say, 10 years from now? Oh, the redraft will look Rich still number two? Not for me. Okay, so here's the thing. What you, when you're talking about talent, if it's offensive talent, unequivocally, he's the number two guy. Right. But overall talent, I still think Fantilli hasn't beat. And I think that because of the two-way game and also the physical aspect that Fantilli has, which he has no problem using. At a, matter of fact, he almost didn't win a Hobie Baker because he had a fighting major. <laughs> and that was a thing, right? Yeah. So Mitchkov can't do those things. And Fantilli can score close to the amount of points. Yeah. Mitchkov will probably outpoint him. But I look at the overall thing as the hockey player, and that's where I say, all right, I draw the line here. Yeah, you can't teach six foot two. No. You are or you, or you aren't. And what's Mitchkov, 5'10"? Yeah, 5'11". Somewhere around there, yeah. He can still grow a little bit, but, yeah. but he's pretty much he is what he is. Yes. Which so, is still fantastic. We're not ripping that. Another angle on Mitchkov that I think is interesting is people are poo-pooing on him because he won't be here for three years. But most of these guys won't be for two or three right. years anyway. You- but he'll come in. I think he's going to come in like NHL ready. He's playing He will come in more hockey. ready. He'll be on an entry-level contract that won't have any of the years burned off. So yeah. if you have been fantasy, yeah, you got to wait a little bit. But you got a potential superstar player who you can three years of entry-level cap hit yeah. take advantage of. Yeah, he'll come in like Kaprizov and score his 75, 80 points. At be, 3.5 million or whatever yeah. the AAV is at that time. And be in, and no, he'll have to go ELC for... Yeah. Right, but with bonuses, the uh, AAV with the, is With like, bonuses, all right. Now yeah. you're saying with bonuses. I think he'll come in, score 75, 80 points. It'll be like similar to Kaprizov, and everybody will be happy except Habs fans and Coyotes fans. Yeah. Any other players that were drafted in round one that you think uh, where they were drafted moves the needle on their fantasy value? I, I think Ryan Leonard in, in Washington because if Ovechkin's still there, you could put him with Ovi and you get a lot of points. So yeah. it's a, it, that's a question if Ovechkin's there. Certainly Buffalo, you got so many options. Takes Thompson, so many options for Benson and... So that's a really good offensive... That's going to be a really good offensive team when yeah. he's there. Yeah, they rank very high in our organizational rankings. Yeah. And they've got seven players under 25 already on the roster. Yeah. So that's going to be a difficult roster for him yeah. to crack. Now, Braden Yeager, I don't know if he'll get... We're talking play. Zach Benson here. Zach, that was Zach yeah. Benson. Yeah. I don't know if Braden Yeager will get the chance to play with Sidney Crosby. My gut says he probably will. And if he does, then that's something where all of a sudden... Even if it's just on the power play... That's extra points for Brayden Yeager. They gotta make him wear 68, right? <laughs> just, no. just so fans can no. like, just rehash their Yager. Yeah, movies. that's funny. <laughs> no. So let's talk. Last thing, let's hit you up real quick on Arizona. Picked two players. Yep. Arizona seems to have a six foot four or taller no draft question. rule going this year. No question. But they got Simishev and Daniel Boop. 
So Simishev was the second defenseman off the board right after Reinbacker. Ranked very high on a lot of prominent scouting agencies' rankings. I don't think he's got the best fantasy upside yet, but he's a very raw talent, so that could he, come around. Yeah, see, for fantasy, it's definitely raw talent you don't know. Mainly played in the MHL, so it's really hard to see the upside there. I ended up ranking him around 11, 14, something like that, because I really couldn't tell what he might be in the future other than he's big and he's fast. That's There's still something missing there for me. I think he will be offensive, but I don't know to what degree. And he's got a good shot, so I don't know exactly where that one's going to lie. And Boot, I really didn't follow this year. Like, I know of him. We certainly talked about him in meetings, but I never had enough good views that I can really say anything. He sounds he's big. Yeah. But I don't think he's that aggressive, so maybe a little bit of an Elmer Soderblom kind right. of so like a, potential. Yeah, but Soderblom will bum rush the net occasionally. And he does... Soderblom has probably more physicality than him. Maybe Boots a perimeter player. I really don't know. Yeah. All right. And uh, one more guy. You're yep. a big fan on Quentin Musty. San yes. Jose picked him at 26. Tremendous right, value. Right about, I think, where consensusly he was ranked in that neighborhood. Not Adam, me. I was no, higher, but You yeah. had him way higher. Where did you have him? In the teens? 13? Just outside the top 10. Right? Yeah, just outside the top 10. What are some of his preferences so, that you like? Yeah, he definitely has a great shot. He works on it all the time. He could score in close or from further away. He has to work on his skating, but like at the level he's at now, he's actually able to lead the charge with two-on-ones. And I don't know if that's going to happen in the NHL, but he's certainly going to work on his skating. So maybe we'll say that's a maybe that could happen. The other things about him is his hockey IQ is really high. And he really does. He's a guy that just gets it as a hockey player. And he knows what he has to work on, and he will. And I think when you look at him as a power forward, and you should, that I think he'll end up being like a 60-point guy. And some hits and pins and blocks and bangs. Yeah, now, he's not a guy that will blow people up. He'll tell you that, but he'll use it when he needs to use it. Being drafted by San Jose, does that positively impact his trajectory to the NHL? Well, a rebuilding team, they got some they have, got some holes. They have Eklund, though, and Eklund will be there when he's there. Yeah. So if he can get on a line with him, I'll sign up for that, point-wise. Yeah. Let's get back and join the draft for us. Thanks All right. a lot for your time, pal. Sounds good. You heard him come up in this interview, Ryan Leonard, who ended up going to the Washington Capitals in this year's draft, is the guy we're going to listen to next from the U.S. National Team Development Program. Victor had him ranked number six in his ranks coming into the draft, and Peter had him ranked number eight among 2023 prospects. He's right up there. He's going to talk about his interview was pre-draft, and he's going to be asked questions about how to comp his game, uh, what a GM comped him to, about Will Smith, his teammate, Got a few questions about Montreal at the end. Sorry. Uh, That's what people ask before the draft when they're not sure where you're going to go. But as we get into this interview, the first thing you're going to be hearing is people asking him what his relationship is with his national team teammates and what the uh, thought about is for bragging rights coming into the draft and who's going to get picked first. Ryan Leonard, center, Washington Capitals. Maybe a little bit bragging rights, but we all just want the best for each other and we just want to be happy for them. And you guys will still be together, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Have you talked to Montreal again in Nashville? Uh, no, not yet, no. You previously described uh, to resemble the, the style of play of the Kachucks. 
Uh, how would you agree with that? Yeah, um, I think it's just kind of pull bits and pieces of them. Um, just kind of take different areas of their game and try to implicate it into mine. And your, your teammate, Will Smith, you just uh, won an award, uh, the Bob Johnson for the international play. Can you just talk to us about what kind of a teammate he is? Yeah, Will's awesome. Um, can't say enough good things about him. Uh, he's been a really good friend through all this and kind of just been there to support him. But yeah, he's an awesome guy. What are your thoughts on Nashville? Have you talked to your brother about the city at all? Yeah, um, been here once for a tournament before. Um, but yeah, the city's awesome. Uh, great weather. Uh, yeah, it's nice. You got an explorer at all yet? No, got in late last night, so no. Ryan, what do you bring to an NHL team? I think leadership, um, kind of a lot of it a jam to the game. I think I kind of have a guy that kind of can change the way the game's played in a couple seconds to either hit a goal or anything like that. Um, yeah, I think just kind of a power forward who kind of brings it all. Do you have a good feeling with, the, when you, with your encounters with Montreal? Do you feel like it, that might be an option? There's a lot of chatters of yeah. number five. You know? Yeah, I know it could happen, but, <laughs> and again, it's, it's also draft day. Uh, Anybody could go there, yeah, who knows. If it's Montreal, can you imagine yourself in a big city, big on the market like the Canadians? Yeah, um, Montreal is obviously an unbelievable city. Um, been there a couple times, so, yeah. Right. Compared to Matthew Kachuk, is that someone you kind of idolize or like put yourself in the same category as? Yeah, I think I watch a lot of his game, but, yeah, I think, like I said before, um, just like to pull bits and pieces of it and then kind of implicate it into my game. How do you react when you hear a GM actually compared you to the, to the catcher, to the catcher brothers? Yeah, it's pretty cool and kind of honoring. Um, you see the run that Matt Matthew just put on, and Brady's an unbelievable player. So that's a very big compliment for me. That's for sure. Is it a lot of pressure on the side? <laughs> no, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like try to soak it all in and just kind of take advantage of it. Are you the type of player who embraces pressure? Like, like, yeah, yeah, I think it's cool. Yeah, I think it's cool. Yeah. Another friend of them. No, I think it's kind of cool and kind of might be a little bit much over at times, but being a young guy, if I go to Montreal, um, yeah, it might be a little bit of a tough switch, but I'm sure it'd be good to get used to. Next, we're going to do another e interview, and this time it's Dabra Prospects prospect editor Sebastian High is going to be talking with our guy Peter this interview came right after the draft, as you can hear, and they're going to go over several of the players who got their interest during the draft. And so let's go right to it. Sebastian, hi, I'm here. Back at the draft, it just ra wrapped up. It's all done. I'm sad about that because it's like Christmas. We ran out of presents. I want to keep going. I want to open more presents. But I'm joined now by Sebastian High, the director of scouting for Dauber Prospects. And welcome back to the podcast, Sebastian. First draft, eh? It's been an experience. It's been a blast. Meeting everyone here has been true pl pleasure. And I've had a great time, despite the fact that Montreal's picks have perhaps confounded me a little bit, but definitely a lot of fun swings that were taken today. Yeah, let's talk about some of those swings, and let's talk about some the fantasy value on some guys. And let's start in round two, and just looking at the draft list here, Andrew Castall is an interesting player, picked by the Washington Capitals at 40. So Washington's got a one of the lower-ranked teams on our organizational rankings. Yeah. Do you think something like that increases his potential for making it to the NHL and, and therefore his fantasy value? I think the fact that he was not picked in the first round will 
help him in terms of the pressure. I think his defensive game needs an like a real like a lot of work, and the fact that he won't have that first round pressure, I think, could be a positive. I think Washington is an interesting landing spot for him. I think them ending up with Leonard and Crystal is really an excellent draft result. And especially, I think they're also two very complimentary players inside the top six. So if they hit on two future top six pieces here with those two picks, I think they did very well for themselves. All right. Another player I wanted to pick your brain on is Etienne Morin, defenseman drafted by the Calgary Flames at 48 out of the queue. It's not a really strong draft for defense, which I think made a supply and demand thing. I think Etienne Morin is good value in round two, and I think his fantasy upside is pretty good too. He's an offensive defenseman. What do you like about this player, and do you think he's one of the better fantasy options for defense outside of maybe the top top four kind of guys? I didn't have him ranked at all. Really? He's a player that I think has spooked a lot of scouts, and he's very divisive. A bit in that Jagged Savage mold in terms of you either really like him if you believe that he can make it, or you are really skeptical on that likelihood, and I fall in the latter camp. At the same time, he is a smart player. He's a very good passer, but I'm not convinced that his tools are at a level to support that type of style. He is not the strongest in his own zone. He's not the best skater. I have a lot of question marks in terms of what type of role he would be playing, especially in a system like Calgary's. Obviously, with a coaching change, things are going to shift around a little bit there in terms of how they play the game, but... Calgary's a team that likes their defensemen like Chris Tanev, who you can throw out there any shift and you know that you are going to get a solid defensive piece. And Moray is quite the opposite. So I'm very curious to see how he fares in that system because on the one hand, he's going to have a lot of players that should complement him in terms of insulate him, insulating him defensively. But the second round is a lot higher than I personally would have felt comfortable picking him. And In terms of fantasy, I think there is more upside there than in terms of NHL value. However, probably still not a player I would have swung on in the top 64. No matter how good you are offensively, if if your defense is not NHL, then you're not going to be playing in the NHL, and therefore you're not going to be scoring. If you can't make it, you're not going to be a very valuable fantasy piece anyways. You mentioned Lucas Dragasevic. They mispronounced his name when they drafted him, but Seattle... Dragasevic, Vegas, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That was a fun moment. Seattle Kraken. They picked him at 57th overall. I have a lot of faith in Seattle's talent evaluation, and they picked him in the second round. So he's a dynamic offensive player. There's some holes in his game. What are the holes, and what are your concerns there? He is the least involved defensive player I've scouted in the past three years. I have Maybe every couple games you see him actually engage in transition defense. He typically gifts away his own entries, which is not usually what you want to see out of defenseman. His skating is a bit of a concern. His backward skating is a weakness. I, While I think the creativity is excellent and he has great vision, I don't think the passing mechanics are quite good enough to support a really high-end playmaking game, which also spooks me a little bit. At the same time, Seattle is a really smart organization and they took some massive swings last year that I liked a ton. And Dragosavich is another player like Morin who... Yeah, again, I'm spooked by him, but I can totally understand the appeal, especially in the second round. I think in the first round, it would have been too much for me, but in the second round, I could rationalize the pick, and especially later on, where they got him, I think it's perfectly acceptable, and you have to try to mold him into as dynamic a player as you possibly can, because you are not going to get league average defense out of him, ever. 
<laughs> a couple of players who were on a lot of people's lists after round one, where some of the best players remaining available, were Grayson Sachin and Riley Height. Yeah. And both guys just eked in just at the end barely. of the second round, with Sachin going to Florida at 63. I really liked their draft. And the Minnesota Wild grabbed Riley Height with the 64th overall pick. Those two guys, fantasy upsides on them? Awesome. Both are high upside guys. I wouldn't say either is a slam dunk NHL or there, there is some risk there, but especially if you're picking them in the late second. I had both ranked inside the first. I think I had Souchin at, at 25 and Height maybe at 28 or so, yeah. so in these, that range. Like in the late second, if you can get them, they're both really that dynamic. They're both among the best handlers in the draft class. Both excellent playmakers. They are quite similar in many ways. I think Souchin is more involved physically. I think he's a bit more creative. I think his goal scoring upside's a bit higher. He's also way more inside driven than Height is, who can be a bit of a perimeter playmaker. At the same time, again, if you're getting either of these pieces in the late second round, you are very happy with the upside you're getting there. So a lot of people use the NHL draft results as their draft list. So these are some guys that you might want to take closer to the first round than the end of the second. Especially in fantasy context, these are both players that I would be banging the table for inside the first round. One last guy I want to pick your brain on, Nick Lardis. He's one of my preferred players. Yeah. We had a really good coming out after the trade from Peterborough to Hamilton. Huge. Rocketed him up a lot of people's draft rankings. He goes just at the top of the third at 67th overall to Chicago. Nice draft by the Hawks there. Unbelievable draft for the Hawks. Like yes, yesterday landing Oliver Moore and Connor Bedard is absurd. Moore never should have fallen to 19. I'm a really big fan of him. Obviously public circles are significantly higher on him than NHL scouts are. But I, I have not watched a game of Oliver Moore where I was not in, enthusiastically excited for his upside. And Nick Lardis is really a fun, dynamic goal scorer. He's really skilled, and uh, his playmaking game needs some work. I think if you can make him into more of that dual threat offensively, you're going to see the goal scoring pop off a bit more as well. But he has a great shot. He's really fun and dynamic, especially picking him in, inside the third round, I think. Chicago could have done a whole lot worse. And look, he has second line upside and outside shot at 30 goal potential, maybe. So in terms of fantasy upside, if you're in a league that values production, Nick Lauders is a really great swing to make in the second round. Yeah, Ian Luca Pinelli are two players, I think, that when you do the 2023 redraft in, say, five or ten years, I think those might be guys that are closer to the first round than wherever they were picked. What do you think of that? I think Lardis has a better, has a better chance of aging into like that, that first-round caliber player. I think Pinelli is one of my favorite players. I've been on the Pinelli train all year. Me too. Uh, I've cooled a little bit in terms of his NHL upside and his projectability specifically, which I think is also a lot to do about how he was used in Ottawa this year, not really complimenting, I think, his big biggest strength, which is his intelligence in my view. But yeah, I think Pinelli could age into a second round draft pick. And Columbus, they've drafted tremendously well today. And them landing five really high upside pieces with Fantilli, Brindley, White, Lost, Strothman, Pinelli is excellent business for them. Sebastian, this has been really good. Let's do it again next year. Sounds good. On, dude. Light the lamp with DraftKings Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code THPN. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Next up, we have a little bit of talk with 
a prospect, Ethan Medema. He was a left winger. He was picked number 109 in the draft. He ended up being picked by the Buffalo Sabres, but this interview was pre-draft. But he talks about some of the guys he played with in the OHL, learning his work ethic, and Peter asked him some questions about the aggressiveness in his game. So I found that to be insightful on what we might see from the young man. Here's Ethan Medema. Team that's on the come up, and um, you know, I've said this in other interviews that um, you know we're going to make a big push in this league in the next few years, and um, you know we're building up for the next two years. So I think just following along, and here's Corey Cooper here, the GM. So um, yeah, just so excited. Yeah, I was pretty lucky um, that I was able to play in the OHL as a 16-year-old to kind of gain some experience and even um, being with guys like Matt Maggio or Wyatt Johnson, Will Cooley in my rookie year, um, guys that can just kind of, you know, help me throughout that rookie year and then um, just kind of showing me the ways. It sounds cliche where you watch guys kind of um, go along and say like, oh, they do lots of work after, but you truly do watch and see what they kind of invest and put into themselves and that's why they're, you know, signed players and going to play in the NHL one day. Ethan, you're a... Yeah, yes, for sure. You're a, you're a skilled player, but you play a little aggressive and kind of edgy. Is the aggressiveness and edginess something you want to kind of rain down or ramp up? I think I think it's a bit of both. Um, I think I have both aspects, um, kind of like um, you know, Joe said. So I think it's just having um, both aspects of you know being skilled, but also playing that power forward game and um, having both aspects of it. Do you feel like you're really getting a comfort late in the regular season, you know, once you're settled in? kind of got used to maybe a different system. Different yeah, for sure. Um, that was That's exactly it. It took a little longer from going from um, Windsor to Kingston, but um, again, so happy to be in Kingston. And, um, you know, it's working out, and I know these next two years are going to be great. Um, I think I just found my rhythm. Um, obviously a little later than I would have wanted to. I wish that, um, you know, we had more regular season games or was able to make the playoffs and, you know, push for... Um, some wins in the playoffs but at the end of the day um you know we didn't make it and we're looking forward to next year as a group and like i already said we're going to make a big push in the next two years adar suniev was a left winger is a left winger now with the calgary flames he's picked number 80 in this draft his interview he's going to talk about coming over from russia to north america very young his teammate bradley nadeau one of those relationships that you may not know about if you're not uh, listening to the stuff like this and the pregame music he likes. Be, be on tinterhooks for who Adar Suniev likes to listen to before game. It's a big decision at 14. Like, that's yeah. still pretty young. Right? Pretty young, yeah. How, how is that discussion? We could meet you like, with family about going to go to a country at 14. I think, uh, you know, for me, you know, my parents always told me, you know, yeah. if uh, I want to reach something in life, you know, I have to go through challenges in life. So I think that was kind of, you know, I was I was looking forward to this challenge. I, I knew it was going to be hard, but, you know, I threw a long wait and, you know, just, I knew I were going to get, get drafted one day and, uh, you know, I think definitely great for my development that I came to North America. Did you speak any English a little bit? I didn't, no, it was really hard. Off, yeah. Can you describe what it was like learning English? How did you learn? I, I just think, uh, you know, everyone kind of speaks the same language and, uh, you know, I had to adjust and uh, just doing some courses, like online courses and English classes, I think that definitely helped me. Yeah. Any record families you've been to? 
all uh, I don't I don't think there's uh, any Russian families. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Idar, uh, Bradley got drafted yesterday. Yeah. Uh, maybe a couple other teammates today. How special it is it to get to share today with your teammates and your coach as well as you? You know, it's definitely great. It's an amazing feeling, you know, just watching him to get drafted yesterday by Carolina and, uh, you know, her, hearing my name today, it's definitely amazing. And, you know, I'm thrilled to be part of Calgary uh, Flames. Yeah. Do you have a pre-game playlist? Pre-game playlist? Uh, I usually just uh, like to listen to rap, Eminem. Yeah. We're getting near the end of this one, but now we need to hear what Peter and Victor had to say while they were at the draft. There's going to be a couple more prospect things coming up after this, a couple more little goodies, but this is this is the climax, folks. Peter and Victor talking about the draft. What's up, everybody? We are here live at the 2023 NHL draft from Nashville. We just finished, they just finished with the last picks. Pete and I are both here. We're going to give some of our initial takes, some guys that maybe fell a little bit, went too early, what happened in their fantasy stock. Peter, how are you doing buddy pretty awesome actually having a really good time in nashville the draft's always a good time too nashville's <laughs> been a great city for the draft i wouldn't be disappointed if we did it here every year going forward <laughs> yeah it's gonna be a good times and definitely a new tradition for me i loved it thanks so much for helping me get here and next year in vegas it's gonna be pretty awesome so yeah that's the word on the street yeah so what what was most interesting to you from like the top 10 first day anyone who you think whose stock really shifted based on where they went. A couple of storylines that really stood out to me in the top 10 was obviously the Matt Bay Mitchkov, where is he going to go storyline drama with his file. The Carlson Fantilli flip at the second and third overall pick where most people had Fantilli assumed to go to, to, to Anaheim and what that means. And then I think the David Reinbacker story is getting some traction as well. And Montreal fans don't seem to be too happy with that pick, but those are some of the some of the hot topics I thought from day one. Anyways, how about you? Yeah, I thought were, those are definitely interesting. I thought that Arizona going with two or three big Russians, if you or two big Russians, and then a really big goalie it was interesting. Seems like some really big swings on upside. I really like Simashev. I ex- expected him to go in the top ten or around there, and going at six was a bit early. Maybe, but I really like him more than Reinbacher for the upside. I also thought it was interesting with Nate Danielson going at nine. I thought that was a bit early. A lot of us thought that. Yeah, and we had similar conversations a few years ago when Detroit took Mo Sider at around six or whenever they took him. And everyone's, wow, that's a little early for him. I kind of like it. So I've got, I think, a little bit more faith in Iserman stretching on Nate Danielson than I do with Canadians stretching on Rhinebacker, but time will be the ultimate judge on those ones. So we'll see how those pan out, but that's right. That's not a pick that, that I would have made inside the top 10, but who are we to judge Stevie Y? The Red Wings are definitely a team that when they pick someone I didn't expect, it always makes me reevaluate my own choices and thoughts a little bit. And that definitely happened with Danielson, but I still am someone that's a lot cooler on him than where he went. So that's going to be interesting to track for sure based on how yeah. it unfolded. If I told you that the Red Wings came out of this draft with Axel Sanding, Pelica, and Nate Danielson with the ninth and 17th picks, you'd be like, that's pretty good. I'm all right with that. Yeah. Just reverse the order. Yep, exactly. <laughs> I would have thought it would have been different. You're yeah. 100% right. And I would have been I would have been good with that for sure. I thought uh, the other one, Zach Benson, I knew he was going to fall. 
I thought he would fall to 14 and Kyle Dubas would take him. And I love those rhymes with Mitch Marner and the players that, that similarities that they can be, but he goes to Buffalo at 13, who just has an absolutely stacked prospect pool. He's got familiarity with Matt Savoy playing for the Winnipeg ice. So that's pretty fun, but he's definitely someone who I like that. I like what Buffalo has done. So that made me like the pick a little bit. And I definitely think that you're going to be able to get him at a little bit of a value perhaps. And that's huge upside there. Yeah. And then right after that, you have Braden Yeager going to Pittsburgh at 14. What do you think? Think Pittsburgh will just get him to wear jersey number 68 and everyone just like 68 Yeager jerseys? Oh, yeah. (laughs) That would be pretty fun. No, he's someone who has a high floor, right? Like he's going to play in the league. I'm not sure how far his upside is, but he's a goal scorer. So you like that. And he's someone that you should have interest in for sure. Yeah. Another team that I give them the benefit of the doubt with their scouting and selections is Seattle. But I, I raised my eyebrow when they went ahead and selected at 20th, Edward Shaw. That's a player that I think I had a little bit lower, bit of a boomer bust, risky kind of guy, I think. But they obviously like his upside. And I think in the past, they might have had a little bit more sense of urgency with players that they can get into their system sooner because they didn't have a system. So that they were interested in guys who could come along quicker, maybe older guys. And I think they're playing the long game here with this prospect. So it'll be interesting to see how that one pans out for me. The Kraken definitely seemed like they swung on upside with Chalet and Dragasevich and Caden Price to some extent. So I thought there was some interesting picks there. I think that Edward Chalet is this year's Brad Lambert. And I, he's not someone that I'm interested really in touching with a 10-foot pole, frankly. There's so much inconsistency there. There's upside, but there's big, there's really low floor as well, I think. So but what about the next pick? I was surprised, and to your, to your previous point, Minnesota taking Charlie Strammel at 20, 21st overall. And I like what they did with their following pick. You know, Minnesota ended up getting some pretty good value. So the Wild get Riley Height at 64, who I really like. Taking Charlie Strammel at 21st was someone who, coming into the year, was potential top 10 pick, but really had a difficult year at Wisconsin. What do you think of those two? Like to your earlier point, if they come out of draft with those two, maybe flip the order. I think you're pretty satisfied, but maybe Strammel is someone who went a bit early. Yeah, I had some chats with some people about Strammel and the people that really like him, like Cam Robinson and Chris Peters. They've been watching him for a few years now, and he kind of struggled as a freshman in the NCAAs. A bit of a down year. I think there might have been some team politics involved with those conflicts there. He's a player I think that they're really high on and they're looking for him to figure it out as a sophomore. And he could be a player that has a really good D plus one year. So someone to keep your eye on for your fantasy drafts in that regards. Definitely. Any other first round takeaways? When the Leafs made their pick at 28, you were giving me a little bit. And Easton Cowan is the forward they selected from the London Knights, who wasn't really on a lot of people's first round rankings. But one of the things we talked about with Craig Button on the interviews that will be coming out shortly after this, where after the top 24, I think it was, he said, the next 25 players are pretty interchangeable. And he had a really good second half of the season and a playoff with London as well. So he was a bit of a late riser and a kind of a sleeper. 
And the Leafs only had, I don't know, three or four picks in this draft. So they were limited with the number of selections they had. So they identified a few players that they really liked and they just went ahead and picked them in the order that they had them, regardless of what anyone else thought. And I think that's a fine draft strategy. Other players there that I thought they passed on that maybe had higher upside. I don't know about that, but there's definitely players that have a higher profile. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're higher upside, but the Leafs, historically in the last several years have actually been pretty efficient in their prospects analysis and scouting and drafting. You could question some of their player development moves perhaps, or their asset management more than their drafting, but they have been a very good job of identifying talent and they're pretty connected with the management in the London system with Hunter as well. I'm sure they have all of the intel on them that they need and we're quite comfortable in making that selection. So I'm cool with it. Yeah, no, Brock was really pretty high on him too. He had a pretty linear progression throughout the year, improving mm. throughout. And if you believe that progression and if you trust your scouts and what they're seeing and saying, then yeah, it totally makes sense. The other team that I'm pretty familiar with, the Sharks, I think they did really well. Obviously, Smith at four, hard to go wrong with the top five there. They didn't blow that one, so that's good. And then they went Quentin Musty at 26, who a lot of people are super high on. And then for Halton in with 36. A lot of people who think that they just drafted their top line for the next 10 years. And if everything works out for those three guys, it certainly could go that way. It could also go a lot of different ways, but those are all three pretty darn interesting guys. And so I like that for sure for San Jose. I, re- I think my favorite part of the San Jose draft was when they selected Will Smith. His draft song was the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I mean, how awesome is that? You got to lean into it, right? <laughs> Own it. And he totally does. Yeah, he's that was fantastic for sure. Yeah. I also really what Colorado did getting Callum Ritchie at 27 and then Mikhail Gulyayev, who some people think is the best offensive defenseman and potentially the best defenseman in this draft at 31 is is pretty great. He's got a lot of variability and volatility to him and he's got a long way to go, but uh, Gulyayev that is. And so those could be two pretty interesting pieces down the road and certainly will help their depleted prospect pool look a little bit more interesting, eh? Yeah, for sure. I'm I'm an Ontario guy, so I've seen Richie play a lot. And he's one, I'm a little cooler on him than a lot of people are. Some people had him closer to the top 10. And I think getting him at 27 is probably more fair value. Yeah, I like that pick for them. And they've got, they're pretty devoid of, of competition for him in their system. So his trajectory to the NHL seems pretty clear. One of the people we were sitting next to when we showed up today for the second day said, welcome to goalie day. And she was not wrong. There were yeah. a lot of goalies taken. Guyane taken first. Not a terrible surprise. Overager, great U, 20. And then they went Harabal, Augustine, and, and then Bjarnason after that. And then a couple other goalies that we weren't just so familiar with. But aside from the goalies, or I don't know if you have any thoughts on them, were any of the second rounders interesting to you? Maybe some good value guys there? Yeah, I wouldn't say that I was shocked by the number of goalies that went in the first round. And they it was a, it was a pretty tight little cluster. Second, second. The second round, sorry. And it was a pretty tight little cluster. You had uh, Diane at 35, Rabble at 38, Augustine at 41. So it was like, bang. And but what was really interesting to me was at the end of the first round, a lot of people would tweet out or post their top players still available going into day two. And Grayson Sasha and Riley Height were in a lot of people's lists. Mine, and, for sure. And they almost didn't make it <laughs> into, into the second round. They were the 63rd and 64th from low scoring home. Those are the last two picks. Either the internet scouting community is excessively high on these guys or Florida and Minnesota got really good value with those guys. Both things can be true. This is true. (laughs) This is true. Yeah. 
those were some of my hottest takes from the second round. Yeah, I, one thing I was interested in is Gavin Brindley went way earlier than I thought. I like Brindley. I know we t- I talked to J.D. Burke, and he's such a Brindley fan and really like him. I think he's great. I thought he would fall to the late second or third round. To see him at 34th to Columbus, love it. Love that for him and love that for the Blue Jackets, who already have a super stacked prospect pool. Yeah, And I have to look also at Washington, who went Ryan Leonard, went Andrew Kristall. Seems like they're strategy is changing a bit too they're getting some pretty high skill guys i guess if you believe that about leonard which i do and crystal i really like that for them for sure i you remember a previous episode we were talking about the prospect that i was higher on for Washington. Oh, yeah chuck yeah you remember on a recent episode we were talking about uh i was a little bit higher on kachuk in his draft year than a lot of other people were mm. and that's panned out i'm a little bit higher on ryan leonard than a lot of people are. And he's a top 10 prospect too. But I think I, if I'm in a fantasy draft, especially with banger stats, that's a player that I'm I'm drafting probably closer to the top five than the top 10. And I think Washington got great value. So I think he's got tremendous offensive upside and he's going to bring some really good other qualities to the table too. But yeah, I'm really excited with what Washington's coming out with from this draft they've added some good prospects their prospect pool isn't as as devoid as it has been in recent past they're slowly starting to retool it and this was a big step forward this year for sure and as you scroll through the second round there's some other interesting names lucas dragasevich at 57 definitely has some really high upside but has a lot of question marks too and then a bunch of interesting names in the third round like nick lardis going 67 to chicago that could end up working out really well i know you've seen some nick lardis in your time haven't you yeah he he started the season with the Pete's and then was traded to hamilton and was deployed quite differently than in hamilton than he was in pittsburgh they just gave him the ball and he ran with it and he looked like a premier player and i think he's going to have a really strong d plus one season and he might not debut in the top five for chicago prospects but by this time next year i think he's going to be on a lot more people's radar player i think that might be really good value in your fantasy job if people are using the nhl draft results as their draft list for their fantasy league. That's a player I think you can sit on in the first round and then look at him and pick him a little bit earlier and get him in the second round and you're getting a first round kind of potential player value there. Yeah, I know a bunch of the people I talked to are really high on Lardis. And some people even say he has arguably the best shot in OHL, which I think a bit of a controversial statement. And race where Colby Barlow exists. The last guy I wanted to mention, Jaden Perron. Of course, Carolina picks Jaden Perron. Super high upside guy. Yeah, he's small, but wow. 94th. If he ends up as a top six or even middle six playmaking winger, that's fantastic value for the little guy. Yeah, this is a play at the beginning of the year. I did the fantasy ranking, the NHL draft, and he's a player that got a lot of consideration for that. And then he goes 94th, almost in the fourth round of the NHL draft. So this is a player that if you're in a fantasy league and your competitors aren't very savvy with prospects and they don't listen to me and Victor, they might be sleeping on this guy. And here's a player that you might be able to get way late that has super tremendous fantasy upside. He is just a very skilled and creative playmaker. There are some, there's some concerns in his game and that's why he's a 94th pick, but great value by Carolina. And Carolina does a really good job of drafting and identifying players as well. They really do. 
Well, this is awesome, Pete. Definitely awesome to spend these last couple of days with you. And it's time to go enjoy a little bit of Nashville. Yeah, let's go get some barbecue. Let's do it. All right. Well, we have a couple more things to stitch in here. Caden Price came up in that interview. Victor ranked him number 37, a defenseman for uh, now the Seattle Kraken, coming into the draft. But he slipped all the way to number 84. Let's hear what the Seattle director of scouting had to say about Caden Price and that selection. Yeah, we got Caden Price, uh, again, out of uh, Western Hockey League. Another player that, that that strong showing and uh, uh, for Team Canada in the Helenka tournament at, at the end for U18, so a great season uh, in Western Hockey League. Uh, mobile two, two-way defenseman with great skill uh, and hockey IQ. Uh, and we feel again can play all the all the positions, uh, defense positions, including power play and PK. And now let's hear straight from the man himself, Caden Price, the media scrum that he had there at the NHL draft. Caden, how's it feel to be the newest member of the Seattle Kraken? Yeah, it feels unreal. Uh, I think just, you know, when I heard my name called, a lot of weight lifted off my shoulders there. and uh, Just super excited. You know, it's a new franchise in the league, and I'm just super excited to get started. You've had a couple of experiences with Team Canada this year. What was that like, and how do you think that helped your game so far? Yeah, for sure. I mean, anytime you get to throw on, you know, the Maple Leaf, it's it's such an honor and a privilege. And I think, uh, you know, it's uh, it's a it's a way for you to kind of showcase your skill on a big stage. So, uh, you know, a lot of publicity and stuff like that. So I think, you know, it's really helped me um, in the two times that I've got to play there. Now, what do you think is the next step for you in your game? Uh, for me, I think just you know, uh, staying healthy for sure. I think you know, this year I, I kind of battled an injury for most of the year and. Uh, you know, it hindered my play definitely, but I think just staying healthy, obviously, you know, bigger, stronger, faster, and just making sure I can keep a consistent game up. How has your time with the Florida Rockets helped you develop and reach this point? Yeah, a ton. Like, I, I give a lot of credit to, you know, that organization, management, you know, coaching staff, athletic therapists, the people, you know, that don't always get the recognition for sure. Uh, you know, ever since I, I got there, you know, they gave me a good opportunity, and obviously it's just such a, such a really good organization to play for. Uh, so, yeah, I have a lot of good things to say about them, and I'm, I'm just proud to, you know, represent them. Your buddy Andrew Crystal, he goes earlier to Washington. Have you had a chance to check in with him? Uh, not yet. I mean, I congratulate him. He was sitting, like, a couple rows up for me, so as soon as he uh, was picked, I congratulated him, and I think, you know, for him that's it's really awesome, and I'm just super excited to, you know, share this moment with him and, you know, uh, have him by my side. Hey, Kane, congrats on the pick. You've been evaluated as a puck mover. What does that mean to you when scouts say that? Yeah, uh, you know, I take pride in that. Uh, I think I'm a two-way, you know, transitional defenseman with a lot of offensive upside. Um, so, you know, I take a lot of pride in that. I think, you know, that's one of my strengths is uh, moving the puck and uh, in transition especially, so uh, for sure. You had a chance to uh, play a little bit with the U18 team, team as well. What does that do for your game to be able to play at that level of competition? Yeah, for sure. Obviously, playing against the other country's best, I think, is important. Uh, you know, whenever you're playing against the best, you got to rise to the occasion. Uh, and I think also going to those events, you know, putting in different roles that I'm used to playing in Kona, you know, the roles get reversed kind of thing. So, you know, I think it just helps round out your game um, and then obviously adapt to new uh, new scenarios for sure. Do you know anyone in the Seattle organization? Oh, you know, honestly, right now I, I probably do, but I'm kind of blanking to be honest. So uh, I, 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 no, I, don't, I don't know really right now, but I probably do. To go back to the, the U18, so you got to see kind of what Celebrini was able to do, top prospect next year. As a defenseman, what do you see in his game? When you like, like if you had to go against him, like, kind of what would you notice about his game? 
Yeah, for sure. Well, first off, he's a big body. Like, you know, off the ice, I think he was weighing in at like 195 or something. And like, he's just a horse out there. He's got a, he's got an explosive stride. He's got a motor. Uh, you know, he's got a really good shot. Uh, so, you know, there's not a lot of holes in his game. Um, and I think, yeah, he's, he's going to be a great player. What's your personal goal for next season that you want to really kind of see in your game? Uh, you know, I haven't really said any or thought about it too much, uh, being that it's so far away. But, uh, you know, I think just pushing the limits in all areas of the game, I think, you know, uh, especially in junior hockey, I'm going to try and push the limits uh, to my abilities for all ends of the ice because once you get to the next level, you know, some of those opportunities get limited and you're not going to get the full full ride of things and, and the reins and stuff. So I think just pushing the limits in all areas of my game. Is it, is it surreal, though, to be sitting there in a drafters here right Yeah, for sure. Like, as soon as my name got called, I kind of blacked out and just a lot of weight lifted off my shoulders. Uh, yeah, I'm super pumped just to be able to go to an organization that's, you know, pretty new to this league. And, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. And, hey, look at that. We've got a scouting report for 2024 already with Celebrini and Caden Price's take on him. But relationship with Andrew Cristal, did you know about that? He overcame some injury this year and his developmental plan for next year, which I would describe as... Uh, unclear <laughs> from this interview. One last thing. I told you, we left a lot of the GM interviews. Peter, Peter and Victor did a lot of work getting in front of the, some of the GMs for their scrums. Unfortunately, GMs are very good at saying very little. But I know that the GM that Victor uh, felt <laughs> most connected to after this this draft was Dan Briere, who's kind of a star of the show from Philadelphia. And really, boy, Dan Briere, he's, he's red hot right now. So we will play a couple of minutes of the media scrum with Dan Briere. Maybe this will inspire you as you're preparing for your own drafts and wheeling and dealing like Mr. Briere. Never have too many goalies. We've seen that a couple of years ago with, with the Flyers. So, um, no, so many things can happen. Uh, different trades. If if all these guys start start hitting, um, you know what we'd like to see from them. Um, it, it's going to be a nice thing to have. But goalies take a long time anyway. Um, you know, I, I see as they don't hit their really their peak until they're you know 27, 28, 29. Sometimes uh, Carter Hart was a, a little different, but. Uh, not every goalie is ready and you know at the top of their game at 21 and 22 so uh, it's for the long haul we just felt that those guys had too much upside well yes and no i mean you know you got to adjust on the fly uh but one of the things we wanted to do was to, to take um take swings um guys that have you know uh, high upsides um you know sometimes it works sometimes it, it doesn't work with the amount of picks that we had i think it was it was good to try and you know sometimes on smaller forwards like we did today on goaltending on big defensemen um you know hopefully uh, hopefully some of them turn out and that would be tremendous we've talked about how in the organization we wanted more uh, pure skill uh, more talent to make plays and score goals so uh you know there's a little bit of that in, in there uh, i think it was time to kind of reload in in that department you know, if, if some of those guys hit, they could, it could be great. Um, but uh, you just never know. It's, it's tough to, to project, but we're going give, to give them all the opportunities to, uh, to, to get to be the best they can be. You know, if, if they turn out to be what we kind of see, it could be pretty special, but uh, only time will tell. Yeah, we, we, but you never know. We, we didn't know if anybody would be uh, willing to trade. Um, you know, I was able to talk to Chicago a, f- a few days ago and told them that we'd be interested. So we reconnected this morning and, and he said because they still have all four of their second rounders that they'd be interested in possibly moving one. Um, you know, so we, we jumped on the opportunity. Like I said, 
we wanted to make sure that uh, the, the stable of goalies stay strong and um, we, we didn't know if you know the, the guys that we had at the top would, would still be there early on um, Gajan went went and then we were worried that it would start going away we didn't have another pick till late in the third so that's why we moved in and then uh, Zagreven was still available there late in the third we had really high on our list too so we could pass it up with Bonk, you know, we, we've had, we're starting, it feels like we're starting to have a lot of success with that. Um, our guys are kind of coming along uh, really nicely, so we want to keep it a strength of, of the organization. Um, I think it's important, it's, it's a, such an important position on, on teams, and, um, you know, having a, a good, strong stable, hopefully we can develop them, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll deal with that. If we have too many, it's a good problem, and we'll deal with it. Why is that so important right now to the organization at this point in the rebuild? Um, as part of a, as part of the rebuild, um, you know these guys are going to have a chance to play. We're going to give them the, the time to develop and the chance to to play and see what they can do. And I, I don't mean you know with the Flyers immediately; they'll have to prove themselves to get there. But um, we'll give them time. It's it's not a rush. It's not like we need those guys to be ready immediately next year to play. Um, they'll have the time to develop, get stronger, uh, both physically and mentally. And, and hopefully it turns out. Thank you, Mr. Breer. Now back to Victor and Peter. Thanks for listening to Dabber Prospects report number 12. Our next report will be a mock draft where Peter, Evan, and myself will do a fantasy mock draft along with a very special announcement that you're going to want to listen to. Feedback on the show or just to chat with us, follow us on Twitter at DPR underscore show for the main show at Farling, P-H-A-R-L-I-N-G. Myself at Victor Nuno 12, V-I-C-T-O-R-N-U-N-O-1-2, and our producer Evan at Sabarin91, S-A-B-O-R-I-N-91. And don't forget to follow at HockeyPodNet and all the great podcasts on the network. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or the podcast aggregator of your choice, and leave us a five-star review. It really helps out the show. Thanks so much. Keep your sticks on the ice. I got a good deal on those boys. The scout said they showed a lot of promise. They brought their f- toys with them. Let's do that hockey.